And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. And with that, I want to bring you in to the latest episode of 1% Better. I'm Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. And we are here to recap a very, wow, uh, I guess heart-pumping 34-31 Colts loss to the Tennessee Titans. This was huge. They needed this game in every way imaginable. Uh, There was an immense opportunity, unbelievable opportunity, after an 0-3 start. And the Colts came up just a little bit short. And there are lots of reasons why. And I think Zach... The reality is that they're in a bad place right now. Um, I, I don't know. We can get into like the the individual reasons this happened, and we will. I, I think we want to start big, though. And, and what that means for me is sort of putting in perspective where they are and what this means for the rest of the season. And I know one game, no one game dictates an entire season, but it does feel like this mattered more. And if they don't get to the playoffs, if they don't win the division, I I, I kind of don't know what this season really was about, you know? And I think that that's not, I don't think, am I overstating this? No, they said that. These are their mm-hmm. words. Kenny, Kenny Moore said yesterday, like, we knew this was the game in the AFC South. This was the season. And we'll get into, you know, Derrick Henry's hurt. But, um, you know, I got home from the game last night. I took my girls trick-or-treating and... There was a guy up, up up in front of us, and his kids were getting some candy, and, and the lady said, Happy Halloween. And he said, No, it is not a happy <laughs> Halloween. The Colts lost. And he was hot, man. It was like 6.30 at night, and he was still ticked off. And I get it, man. Like, this team teases you, and and they really have made the fans feel like they could do something special. And there's – Every reason to believe they should be five and three right now. I don't even think that's a stretch to say. The Ravens game and then yesterday's game. And they have proven one thing this season. They have they have found a way to beat themselves when it matters most. That's the reality of it. And we'll get into Carson. We'll get into Frank Reich's decisions. We'll get into the disappearance of Jonathan Taylor. But no, to take a macro view of it, like you said, they're kind of just running in circles. Like, I don't care if you can beat the Niners and the Texans. That doesn't tell me anything. You can't beat the Titans, and you couldn't beat the Ravens, and this is going to be a wasted season. It just feels like you're going to get to the end, and they're going to be, I don't know, nine and eight, maybe ten and seven, maybe, and you're going to miss the playoffs by a gain or two, and and what's that's just not good enough for an owner who wants playoff runs for a team that's this well built, and we can get into whether that's a even a good statement anymore, but they're just. They're just pretenders. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, I, and I, 
I don't like enjoy saying these things because I think they have some talent. I think we see it. I mean, oh, the, they do. Yeah, the, yeah. Like the Titans are, by the way, the Titans are like really good. And I don't know what's yeah. going to happen with Derrick Henry. The report out this morning is he may have a season ending injury. We will get more information on that later. But we'll see how good Ryan Tannehill is. We will. That's for sure. We will. And, you know, look, Carson Wentz, for all of his faults yesterday, he's not going to feel sorry for Ryan Tannehill, you know, just based on what he's had to deal with this year, right? In terms of injuries around him. But that being said, I think I still think this team. I, I give them a little bit of a, I don't want to say a pass, but like I, I get why they started zero and three, right? I I get why that happened, and I can live with it. Okay, if you're a fan, you hate it, but like you probably, if you're reasonable, you understand why it happened. Okay, the problem for me is that they have had two golden opportunities since then to show that they have gotten beyond that, and that they are now healthier and that they're ready to compete and they have blown both of them and that's the problem for me is that if you're a good team and you have those leads against good teams you finish the game and they haven't done it in either case and so now we're left with and i get that this is probably premature but the hell with it right i mean this was a big game so what i think we're left with here is this season the remainder of this season is kind of a referendum on Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. And I don't mean that in terms of like they're getting fired. I just mean in terms of where is this team going? Is this plan going to work? And are they on the right track? You know what I mean? And it's a little bit like politics, right? I mean, people, people are watching and how things go is how they is, is it reflects their confidence in, in leadership, right? It's the same thing here. You know, it's like, you make you make your promises in the campaign. <laughs> in this case, it's training camp, and and they either work out or they don't, and they're not working out right now, right? They thought they were beyond this. I think they thought they were beyond this. I didn't think. I, I don't think they in, intended to be a three and five football team sitting here trying to figure out a way out of this uh, eight games into the season. I think they felt like they were beyond this, and right now, what I see is a very mediocre football team. That is threatening to be more, but hasn't proven that they are. So, I mean, you are what you are. So, I, I don't know. I, so, so what do we make of what I said about this being a referendum? I mean, like, is that is that a fair assessment, do you think? Yeah. And, and, and let's just, I'll just put it out there. Like, I don't expect anybody to get fired. Like, I okay, like, like, are, let me be clear. I'm glad you said that. Emotional. It's not happening. Um, <laughs> It's not happening. It's not happening this year, barring a wild turn of events. Like, it would so have let's to just be a collapse. Get beyond that, right. let's talk. It, it would yeah, have to be talk. like cataclysmic, like cataclysmic. And they're not going to collapse. No. I mean, and I'm not saying they're going to run the table, but they're not going to collapse. So let's right. live in reality, okay. right? They've got nine games left. They're three and five. It's it's a good schedule. Like you've got winnable games on there. You've got two tough ones. You go to Buffalo in a couple weeks. You host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You go to Arizona. They're seven and one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you face Las Vegas late, um, you know, but but other than that, you've got a bunch of winnable games. So they're probably going to have a decent record to close. Whether they make the playoffs is another conversation. But I think you're right because they have built this team in a very particular way. And the moves the GM made and did not make, you go get T.Y. Hilton, who everyone was happy when you got, but the dudes played a game and a half in the first eight games and given you one 50-yard catch. That's it. You don't get another receiver 
You don't load up on the pass rush. You take the bet on the young pass rushers. That has worked to very, very low um, productive levels. And and then the big one is is the quarterback gamble. And let's get into Wentz. Yeah. Because yesterday was the Carson Wentz experience in full. And I thought, and I watched the tape this morning, you can't talk about the bad without talking about the good. Some of the throws he made early, especially the two touchdown throws to Pittman, were fantastic. The arm angles, keeping the play alive in the pocket, moving around. I mean, this guy creates stuff. But the decisions at the end were cataclysmic. I mean, they were some of the worst decisions I've seen made on a football field. Right? I mean, is it too far to stretch? Is that too much of a stretch? No, I mean, I <laughs> I thought that the the, the play... I mean, that, watch the tape of the interception at the in overtime. It's one of the worst reads I've ever seen no, a starting quarterback make in this league. It's awful. It's awful. It's unforgivable. It's actually worse than... It's much worse for me than the play down near the end zone, even though that, that was play, like Jacob Easton's interception against the Rams. Right. And Easton's not a starter, you know? Even though the play down near the end zone will probably get looped over and over. It'll be a, a come, come on, man. absurd. A, right. Just, it's absurd. It was like the, the level of absurdity, like that really happened. Like that was like off the charts, right? But I also understand how it happened in some respect, right? The, Did you see that he, and I know you wrote about it, he he faked throwing it in the dirt. I know. And he just should have done He just should have done just that. Just do it. <laughs> Live another down. And and, and someone, someone on Twitter pointed this out to me, and, and they, I can't disagree. He's like Brett Favre. Now, he's not nearly as good as Brett Favre, sure. but like, does the good outweigh the bad? Favre made so many dumb decisions, but he threw 500 touchdowns. Wentz is like a, a JV version of that. Is Does the good outweigh the bad? Because <laughs> the bad was really bad at the end of the game with so much on the line yesterday. Okay, so you know I make a weekly basketball reference, so I'm going to do it here. You know what he reminds me of? Russell Westbrook. <laughs> so my son and I always have this argument. Like, is Russell Westbrook, like, good? <laughs> of course he's good, right? I mean, that's a stupid question. But, like, but he's also, like, the most frustrating player to watch, okay? It's like, you know what? I'm going to take this rebound, and I'm going to go coast to coast, and I'm going to turn it over <laughs> at the rim. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it for, like, 10 seconds, you're, you're believing, oh, my God, he's going to do it again. And boom, no. Here it is. And that is a little bit of Carson Wentz there, I, I think. You know, it, the ability is phenomenal. The question is going to be the execution. It's always the execution. And the, the sad thing is, like, I don't want to be a Carson Wentz apologist because I, I hate coming off as an apologist for any player. They're all out there getting paid handsomely. And they signed up for whatever good or bad happens, right? So, like, I'm not here to hold anybody's hand. That's your problem if you get criticized. However, to be fair, like, he has played pretty well. And the shame of it is that he picked the biggest game at the biggest time to fall back into 2020 Carson Wentz. And this was really like the Carson Wentz that everyone talked about last year. This is the type of thing that got him benched for Jalen Hurts last year. The shame of it is it could have been so much different. It could have been his moment. It could have been his game-winning drive against the Titans at home. You know, his first big moment as a Colts quarterback. And he's played well enough to sort of earn that opportunity and it would have meant so much to him i know that for a fact he loves it here and you you just got to live the good and the bad and that was really bad and and the worst part of it is if you watch the tape taylor who we need to talk about was wide open and and reich mentioned how they've been covering the checkdowns taylor was wide open in the middle of the field 
And I don't think it's crazy to say he might have taken this to the house. Now, he would have had to beat a couple guys. He had 15 yards of field in front of him. But what does JT do in the open field? He makes guys miss. So and I'm thinking at least field goal range. They don't and that, need a touchdown, right? That's the whole thing about Wentz. Don't check it down. Try to take the hero shot. Throw it into triple coverage. Bayard comes in, makes the pick. But and you mentioned this right away. He locked in on Pittman for so long. Yeah. I mean, that was like rookie quarterback locking in on a receiver, and that's just too. You can't make that mistake if you're a veteran quarterback, and he is. And man, they just they just keep finding. They're, they're getting really good at finding new ways to blow games. It's it's kind of impressive, but. I mean, um, really, Carson Wentz is the one guy who hadn't blown a game, so I guess it was his turn. <laughs> and yeah. you know what's a, what's really frustrating about it is it raises these questions about Carson Wentz in terms of like why did this happen? For example, so I look at the way he's played in in recent games pretty well. I, I thought there was some so there was some erratic play in San Francisco last week, but like given the weather, I wasn't going to obsess over it. Okay. And I think that's kind of ridiculous to obsess over that. I mean, we were there. It was the conditions were incredible. All right. They were incredibly bad. I mean, we drove home in that crap. <laughs> it yeah. was treacherous. And or drove back to the hotel. Anyway, point is I, I think he'd been making the kinds of decisions you talked about him not making yesterday, right? In these recent games, he has checked it down. In fact, there were some instances where I was like, Carson, like, take the shot, <laughs> you know, and he did it. He's been walking that fine line and doing a pretty good job. I at know. It, I think it's fair to say. Like, right? when has anybody ever said, man, Carson, you really should have took that shot? Like, no one's ever said that about Carson Wentz because it was never necessary. No. I found myself actually saying that in recent weeks at times. I think in, in the grand scheme, it's fine. Like, you know what? If he's going to, if he's going to take the easy one, then let him take it. Let him take the layup because he never took the layup in the past. But, Anyhow, my point is, I'm, I'm rambling, but my point is he has never really been a high interception guy. He's been a little reckless, certainly. Uh, until last year, he, he wasn't really a big interception guy. And I think this year, Frank Reich really had him in a good place. He was making good decisions. So what I wonder here is why the bad decisions at such a an inopportune time? And I wonder, like, is it pressure? Like, does he, does he do this when he is under pressure? I, I don't know, because oftentimes that's when... The great quarterbacks really, I think, have their defining moments. You talk yeah, about Yeah, I mean, he's he's done that. I mean, yeah. I don't want to keep going back to 17, but I think he had five or six or seven game-winning drives. True. You know, like he's he's done that before. But yesterday, there's no other way to put it. He just shrunk. He just shrunk under the spotlight of that big moment. I know. And and you are right. It's interesting because it, it kind of, you know, when you said about or what you said about it potentially being a defining moment is really interesting to me because – it kind of reminds you of just how thin the line is between being a hero and a goat in this league and not a good goat. <laughs> you know Yeah, I mean? he might be the perfect no, he might be the perfect case study. He really is. Like you could do a dissertation on this. It's crazy. Like you could go from I'm trying to think of a all right, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck did a lot of the things that Carson Wentz He does. did a lot of dumb shit. Everybody yes. out there who watched him knows right? that. Like, we've had these conversations about Andrew Luck. However, what was the difference? It, there would be a game, inevitably, like yesterday, where he would take the team 80 yards and they would pull it out of their ass and win. Okay? Yeah. Because of him. In his sleep. He does that in his sleep. Right. Yeah. And so that is the difference between one player's reputation and another. 
that's how reputations are built. And I don't know if it's fair. It doesn't matter if it's fair, but that's how it that's how it works. Okay. One thing players often talk about, and this is always interesting to me, is so you run 70, 65, 70 offensive plays during a game. It comes down to four or five almost every week, you know, unless yeah. you're playing the Texans, right? It comes down to four or five. Yesterday you're up 14 to zero. And and it still comes down to four or five plays. And it's that thin line you were just talking about. And that's what separates guys that are, you know, elite athletes, right? It's that thin line that who can make those plays under the most stress in the biggest moments. And the story of the season so far for this team is they have not been able to do that. They're 0-4 against teams with winning records. Yeah, I mean, look, these are the best athletes in the world. So the difference is minuscule. It's just tiny. It's like a sliver. You know, I mean, so just just to be on that field, you are the best in the world at what you do. So, <laughs> how are you going to outdo the other guys? You have to be elite at the most important moments, and that's as you said, it's what it comes down to. And, and Carson Wentz didn't provide that yesterday. Do I think he's capable of it? Of course, but you've got to consistently do it to be great in this league. And he, he didn't do that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get to Jonathan Taylor and some Frank Reich's decisions here real quick. But just to put a bow on Carson Wentz, do we think – no, let me rephrase that. Does this change your view of the move to get Carson Wentz in any way, shape, or form? Because you know how fans are. Fans are very reactive, and I get it. It's Fan is short for fanatic. You're emotional. I will tell you my view. 
I don't think this changes my view of the trade. I think there are lots of other factors going on with this team. And I, I don't think Carson Wentz is the biggest problem. I actually think they can win with him. Uh, I want to see more. Granted, we've only seen eight games. So I'm not suggesting we have our final answer. But like, I still think I still think it's workable. But I don't know. I need to see more. What, what do you think? Yeah, no. I'm 100% behind the decision to go get him. I still yeah. am. I'm not going to overreact to yesterday. A big part of this is there's no there's no real option out there. There was no better option right. out there. And and I understand the warts that come with playing Carson Wentz at quarterback. I think I want to look at this full body at the end of the season and then give you my real result on Carson 17 games in because there's not going to be an 18th game right now. Um, you you made your bed. Now you have to lie in it, right? Like you went and got this guy. And Frank was all in, and Chris signed off, and it's on Reich, it's on Ballard, it's on Ursay, and it's on Wentz. And and I wrote this last night, like, look, this season was always going to come down, to, in my mind, it was always going to come down to two people. It was always going to come down to Frank Reich and Carson Wentz, and whether they could make this work. We and all knew that. We could talk about the line early on, and the defense, and Darius, and the secondary, and all that, all that matters. But at the end of the day, they were going to go as far as Carson Wentz took them. And they're three and five right now. And it's not all on him, but the golden opportunity they had yesterday was blown because of him late. And that's just what you're going to have to live with. And Reich and Ballard need to go out and find the answers that fix that. And that doesn't mean another player in my mind. That means Reich needs to continue coaching this guy up because I think you can still get, you know, a lot more good out of Carson than bad. You're going to have to live with the bad but I think you can coach that out of him to a degree. I mean, just throw the ball in the dirt, dude. Throw the ball in the dirt. Live another day. Um, and then secondly, you know, you're, you're seeing the other holes in the roster exacerbated, right? Like yeah. we could talk about pass rush, and we've talked about that on here. But I'm anxious for the fans' view. I know that everybody's pissed off after the game yesterday. But I, I just I don't think Carson Wentz, I don't think it's a failed experiment or anything like that. You're going to have to live with the good and the bad. And there's a lot of good because I watched the tape this morning and there's a lot of plays he made because he can make those like extending plays in the pocket, throwing against his body, tight window stuff. Trust me, I spent August watching Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger at training camp. You don't want that. Like you do not want that. Like the the gap between the next guy, whoever the heck it is, whether it's Brett Hundley or Ellinger is so substantial. So my advice would be just hop on and live with the roller coaster. Right now, because it's been more good than bad, but God, it was bad yesterday at the end, and there's no excuse for it. And I thought Wentz lost him the game. Yeah, both things can be true. He could. Yeah. it's true that he was bad yesterday, and there's no real defense for a, a lot of the things that he did yesterday. And it's also true that you know what, he still is the guy who was available to them this offseason who gives them the best chance to win. I mean, what else were you going to do? I mean, do you you're want just, to give up three gonna, first round picks for Matt you're Stafford? Not gonna, yeah, and you, you couldn't have made the move thinking you're going to get fields. And you no. you just don't fall into top three picks anymore. They're just not going to do that with this team. And it's just – it's where you're at. And you're yeah. going to have to make the best of it. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, like you, you said at the top about living in reality. So, as a fan, keep that in mind. Okay? That's, <laughs> we have That's to live in reality. a take on a Monday morning after a loss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, man. We're, we're swimming upstream here. But we're going to try. All right. So, all right. Now – there's the the anger I think coming out of this game is equally split between Carson Wentz and Frank Reich and I don't know who's getting more daggers maybe Frank Reich 
So let's get into that. Look, uh, my sense or my my thoughts, let me just contextualize where I am on Frank Reich coming out of this game as the play caller. Uh, not terrible overall. I think my issues are not even with the overall run-pass ratio because I think there's some context there, and he actually shared some of this with me. You may have gotten this from him last night as well, uh, Zach, but I'll, I'll share that in a second. Yeah. So it's not even about that. It's more about very specific situations. I think uh, I think if you're going to go heavy on the pass, doing it in a day or on a day when the quarterback doesn't have his best stuff, I think yes. is questionable. Yes. That's that's where I have a problem. And I, I also feel like with Jonathan Taylor, look, I mean, we were talking about this last night, uh, Mike Chapel and I, after you left the press box. I think he's their best player. He's their best player. There's no I think, I think. Clear he's their now. best he's their best football player. He's the best player on the damn team. And if he doesn't touch the ball enough, that to me I just think I just think that leaves just gonna leave questions. I mean, I'm sorry, right? I mean it's just there's no other way to think about it. He is going to leave questions. I mean, to go to the basketball analogy again, if your best shooter is only taking twelve shots, then what the hell are you doing? You know? So I I think this guy's a volume scorer, to, you know, to continue the metaphor. He's got to get shots, and I don't think he's getting enough shots. Uh, 18 carries in San Francisco, that's a season high, man. You know, and, and I think, you know, on the other side, I'm not saying he needs to be averaging 29 a game like Derrick Henry. Please see where that got him. But, I mean, maybe this was a game where you break your rules, man. You know? Yeah, man. I, I, I thought about this a lot last night, like, I get there's context that's really important, right? Like the secondary, the Titans secondary is not nearly as good as their front. I understand that. True. And I get that you have a game plan and you want to attack them and you were getting some DPIs and you were moving the ball and Carson was hitting throws early, right? But I also can't get this thought in the back of my head that is what you just said. He's the best damn player on the team. And he only had 26 carries in two games against the Titans this year. Hmm. That's not good enough. That's not smart football. You can give me all the data and all the game plan and all the context you want. I'm still not going to agree with you. In this game where everybody's really good, there's five or six guys on each team that are really, really good. And Taylor's been the engine behind the Colts offense all year. When they've been at their best, Taylor is the guy that's going off, not Wentz. So I hated 51 throws against 20 carries. I hated it. And Taylor was making five-yard runs that should have been one-yard runs, right? We, we talked about this all yeah. day. We talked about this every week. How many times does that guy make yards appear that aren't there? And he's your home run hitter. And along with Pittman, he's the best thing you've got going on offense right now. And like you just mentioned, I hate putting the ball in the hands of the quarterback when his decisions were getting spottier as the game went on. They just were. And Carson has flirted with some interceptions the last couple of weeks. The Niners dropped a couple. This was going to happen. He was 14 touchdowns and one interception, what, late in the third quarter after that one to Jack Doyle. The, the interceptions were going to happen. He was just playing a little bit too reckless for them not to happen. I just think you give it to 28, and I've been tweeting this every single game. You give it to 28, and if he doesn't get it done for you, then you live with that, right? I can live with that. Yeah. I can't live with putting Carson in a situation where he's throwing it 51 times. I mean, Taylor only had five carries in the fourth quarter and overtime, and all you needed was a touchdown, right? I mean, to start overtime, you, you have a – an empty, you know, a full clock, and you can just drive down the field and score and win the game. And you get away from Taylor, you get cute. 
I'm, I'm just not okay with that. And, and I know there's a lot that goes into it. And a lot of these RPOs were checked out of, right? Checked into passes. But Reich needs to work on that with Wentz because this isn't good enough. And this is a recurring theme that it doesn't seem like we're ever going to get an answer to where they get away from Taylor. And for me, I just cannot figure it out to save my life. So you just hit on something there. So I'll, I'll, I'll play the role of devil's advocate just, you know, for the sake of uh, fairness for Frank Reich. So a couple things that he'll point out that he has pointed out. And we talked about this last night. There were, I believe six RPOs where the read was throw, not pass. And if you understand how those work, read pass option, run pass option, uh, for the listener, uh, the quarterback has to read the the edge player, and if that edge player reacts one way or the other, it's a run. Uh, if he reacts the other way, you take the ball, and it's a pass. So there were six such instances where Wentz made the read to throw the ball, and I'm not saying he made the wrong read. He probably made the right read. The the question is, if when you run that, you are you know, you're ta- you're potentially going to take the ball out of Jonathan Taylor's hands because if the read is passed, he doesn't get the ball. So there's some context there, but at the same time, it's a 50-50 proposition that Taylor gets the ball at best in those situations because it's all about a read. So you could be more deliberate. You could be more deliberate if you want it to be. And maybe maybe that makes you more predictable. I don't know. but But if you it's fair to make that argument that like, all right, we had these RPOs dialed up and they ended up being passes because they were playing the run. Well, that's a respect of that's them showing respect to Jonathan Taylor. Right. Which maybe tells you something. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'll just, can I just say one thing. They targeted Ashton Doolin late in the game four times. And mm-hmm. for the life of me, I don't know why. And someone on Twitter said they targeted him like it was peak Reggie Wayne. Like, I, <laughs> Doolin isn't there to catch passes, man. It's, it's not ways on the team. And anyway, that's just my aside. Right. I mean, he's like the fifth receiver. He's there because guys are hurt. And it just is what it is. Man. I'd rather throw into Pittman and double covers than Doolin and single coverage. Right. I mean, he had that one chance. And this is not a podcast about Ashton Doolin. But there was that one deep shot where he, he kind of got turned around. And if he makes that catch, he makes that if he makes that diving catch, I mean, that's a huge play. He doesn't come yeah. up with it. It's a tough play, but like, Didn't I don't expect Ashton Doolin mean, to make that play. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the back to Frank Reich, I just think, all right, the RPOs. Okay. Fair. The other thing he would argue is that at the end of each half, first half, second half, um, in terms of regulation time and second half, they, they had two minute drills. Obviously you're not running in those situations. So that piles on another, you know, eight or 10 throws right there. It gets, it does get the numbers out of whack. But again, I told you before, my issue is not the number in and of itself. I just think you can be more deliberate to get Jonathan Taylor the ball. What's the first play of the game they ran yesterday? Yeah, man. Right? I just watched that. Just a he quick took a wheel route to six, Jonathan Taylor. Six, six yard catch, took it for 38. Right? I mean, like Taylor's growth in the on. passing game is is wild this year. It's really something to behold. Right, you want to throw it? Throw it to Wisconsin. him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, I know. But at the same time, sometimes football ain't that hard, you know? Yeah, and that's something – I'm glad you brought that up because I thought about that one play, the interception in the end zone, a lot. And, and Frank just came out and said, like, look, 100% on me. I've coached in this league too long to know better. Yep. It was my fault. You know, both are both are to blame. It was a terrible play call. And, and, and Carson made a terrible decision. But let me get your thoughts on this. I think we've talked about this before. Frank will overdo it sometimes. And I think 
the chase when you're a play caller is to always find the play that fools the defense, that gets your guy wide open. And Frank's really good at this, and he's done this a lot in his career. He's had the play call that defense didn't anticipate, and it's made it easier for his players, right? That's what great play calls do. Sometimes he tries to do that too much, if that makes sense. And in a game where you don't always need those types of plays, like sometimes you're just going to have to bet on your guy. What is this? What does this league come down to a lot of times? It's just one-on-one matchups, whether it's on the D-line, a linebacker versus a running back, the receiver versus a corner. That's really, it's just going to come down to your guy versus their guy. And half the game is decided by that. And instead of trying to get cute and run a screen pass from your own eight-yard line where, you know, Naheem missed a block and Carson's been up and down in the second half, I just feel like if you just go with a simpler play, and you take five or six yards, which isn't the worst thing in the world, you're giving your team the better chance to to succeed, which I think is what coaching is in general. But when I was thinking about that play last night, I was just like, sometimes Frank is trying too hard to come up with the perfect play. And I don't think you always need the perfect play. Now, I'm not a play caller, and Frank would lap me in terms of offensive um, intelligence. But That's my Monday morning quarterback on that play. Like, why try to get super cute on first down when you're supposed to be a smash mouth team with the second best running back in football with a stud receiver? Pittman had 10 catches for 85, a lot of them in double coverage. I just, this is not the first time they've tried to get really cute in those situations. And I just think they need to stop looking for the perfect play and just try to get some yards. So I think you're... Right on the money here. And, and so when I look at Frank, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and we have gotten to know Frank very well these last four years. One thing I know about Frank, and you know this too, this guy is super, super, super intelligent. Like I'm talking not just football, right? He is, this guy is very, very intelligent, very, very well read. This guy is just off the charts smart. <laughs> I almost wonder sometimes if it works against him. <laughs> and yeah. I know how this sounds, right? Like, because what do you do when you're, when you're a high functioning, intelligent person like that, you think differently than other people. And, and I'm getting into psychoanalysis here that I, I'm probably like way out of my depth. Okay. <laughs> but I just wonder, it's just a question. It's just a podcast. I don't know shit. We're just talking. Right. Um, I, I wonder sometimes like, all right, is he, is he, overthinking it as you basically is what you're saying he's overthinking it and i wonder if that's sometimes because yeah he's thinking on a different level than everybody else and it's like oh you know but if i do this they're gonna think that and if i do that then they might do this and that'll work it's like Like, he's like like dude this ain't it ain't 4d chess you know football is so complicated but it's so simple Mm -hmm. right like it's so simple and and one coach who always makes it simple right and i hate to make this comparison but like belichick always simplifies the game He always simplifies the game. And Brady, the best to ever do it at his position, arguably, whatever you want to say, Brady takes the easy passes. He always takes what the defense has given him. That's what's made him so lethal for so long, especially in those fourth down situations. And the Colts are doing the opposite of that. They're trying to make it harder on themselves. The coach is, the quarterback is. And and what does Belichick do? Most games are lost. They're not won. And that's the story of the Colts season right mm. now. They're losing these games. It's not like the Ravens and the Titans. I mean, they, they could have beat them, you know. Right. So, you know, the other thing that's interesting here, and this is kind of a philosophical thing I, I'm observing. So the Colts on offense, they have a very uh, 
they have a tendency, I guess, to be very kind of um, sophisticated and and I don't want to say trickery. That's not the right word because they're not tricking people, but they're definitely using a lot of um, maneuvers and tactics to to definitely fool the defense. Uh, but on on defense, it's interesting. They're very much m- much more vanilla, <laughs> and they don't they don't try to trick you as much. Like they're a lot more uh, of the approach. All right, this is what we do, and we're just going to do it really well and see if you can beat it. Right. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, they disguise coverages. They do stuff. I'm not saying like it's just you know basic high school coverage, but uh, but they definitely that is not their foremost principle on defense is to fool you or trick you right they're just like we're going to execute the hell out of this and you're not going to be able to score whether that works or not is not the point and it's just very interesting two very polar opposite approaches on offense and defense now i'm not saying either is right or wrong it's just it's kind of interesting to me i don't know what my point is um (laughs) so let's just uh kind of wrap this up because we got to run here but uh defensively ah Kind of a weird game, right? I, I think we knew this year the Colts would be good against the run, and they generally have been. I they mean, were outstanding against Henry yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And he I, has I don't 68 think he yards, complain. his lowest against you know any team in seven games, just 2.4 yards per carry for this guy who's just destroying teams. Yeah, and look, I know he, he was hurt, but I mean, he didn't miss a snap, so I, I don't know when it happened. I don't know what's going on there. I can't comment on, on what role the injury played, but... He was out there. That's all I know. Grover, Grover Stewart was a stud. Grover yesterday. Stewart earned his money. He definitely did. The sad part about it is they are out of gas in the secondary. And I think I talked about this earlier being a referendum, the rest of the season being a referendum on on the, the direction of the team and the plan. Well, it's already been a referendum on the secondary, and I think it's time to blow it up. <laughs> okay. And I mean, God, if you had options, I might cut Xavier Rhodes, man. I mean, I know that's oh, harsh, man. but like. That was one of the worst efforts I've ever seen. I've right. ever seen. I mean, we're going back to Cromartie in London against the Jaguars. I mean, yeah. that was abysmal, but I don't want to go back that far. But I I don't know. I just don't think they're getting anything from, from Xavier. And then, you know, Rock makes a great play early and then just keeps, keeps getting beat in the second half. And um, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree. I don't think this is on the defense yesterday. No. Um, no. But – I, I think there were some opportunities points, you know. yeah, for the, the defense, six, yeah. and they did yeah. not capitalize at all. You know, AJ Brown is a monster. He's good, and he did it without Julio playing, which is, I think, a little disappointing. And what they did, it's interesting. In the first half, I think they only completed a couple passes to their wide receivers. They were really exploiting the Colts on the tight end matchups, particularly in the middle of the field. And have we have we heard that before? No, never heard that before. Titans did their homework. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like what I, I just don't know. I mean, is it is it any simpler? Is it more complicated? Excuse me. Than maybe they're not good in coverage, or is there something more to it? You know, it's uh, it's part of it's the zone. Part of it's just the soft spots in the zone, and it's just what you live with. You're going to give up a lot of completions, especially in that part of the field. And without a pass rush, it's just going to be. It's not that hard for quarterbacks. Like, do the quarterbacks look stressed? No. I mean. Tannehill was just completing pass after pass in the second quarter to tight ends in the middle of the field. And the Titans reporters who were kind of close to us in the press box were stunned because they never throw to tight ends. <laughs> it's funny. Maybe that was something they saw in the Colts defense. I mean, more than likely. And they attacked it. 
I mean, that's that's how these things tend to work. And the other thing I would say is that, uh, look, the, the Colts, it's very strange that you can be so good at the line of scrimmage against the run and be so god-awful when it comes to winning the line of scrimmage in pass rush. I, I can't explain that. Uh, but that inequitable, that sort of inequity there is very yeah. interesting. And I don't know what to make of that, but it's weird. Uh, because, I mean, clearly the guys up front are playing well. And this is not the first time. I mean, teams don't run on the Colts generally and because they, they don't do it successfully. So I don't know. It's very strange. But I, I think that's that's part of – that goes to what we were talking about before, though, about the rest of the season being sort of a, you know, a, an observation period uh, for people to kind of come to a conclusion on where they're going. And that, that pass rush is a huge part of that. A huge part of that. And they may have lost Taekwon Lewis, which doesn't help either. He was playing – I thought he was playing at a pretty acceptable level for the most part. And recently, He's a guy I, w- I would bring back. Yeah. But this, this is, you know, I mean, that and, – and we won't get into it, but that interception, that changes the game. If he keeps that mm. football, they're on their half of the field. They could possibly go up 21-7. to seven. It's just terrible luck that he falls over and loses the football and, and probably blows up his knee. Darius Leonard was very adamant that they had that football. George Odom did come out of the pile with it. I don't know how they ruled it. The Titans ball, it's just hard to tell. That was a turning point. Now the Colts had a million opportunities after that, but it feels like that would have been a different game if the Colts would have kept that football. Yeah, that was tough to take. All right, we got to get out of here. Uh, there's a game on Thursday, and we got to get to work. So um, on to the next one. All right, so this is 1% Better, Colts of 3 of 5. We'll be back to recap. I guess we'll be back Friday. I guess we'll recap uh, the Jets game on Thursday Jets night. Jets won so this week. They beat the Bengals. They break up the Jets. So Colts better buckle at chin straps, apparently. <laughs> so be ready for that. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better.